as we go through our lives, we inevitably have questions. We're humans, after all. We don't understand everything that happens to us or everything that happens here in the world. And sometimes tragic things happen and just things happen that we just, quite frankly, don't understand. And we ask questions. And many times we have tough questions. Sometimes we question, why, why did this disaster happen in, in this place at this time? I think about the people in Maui who have faced the wildfires, several places in the U.S. who have also faced hurricanes and other storms and, and other places in the world, flooding has taken place. And I'm sure there are people questioning right now, why did these disasters happen? Why did this happen to us? In those times, a lot of people are asking those questions. Sometimes we, we question, why did this loved one have to go? Why did, why did that person have to die at this time? And why did it have to be them? Right? We have questions sometimes. Sometimes we, we look around at our, our world and we look at the, the sin and the corruption and we wonder, why, why are we so evil? Why are people so evil? And we could go on and on. We have a lot of questions sometimes as we go through life. Again, we're humans. We don't have the answers to everything. There's only one who does. That's God above. Sometimes we have difficult questions, tough questions, as we go through this life. And the thing is, this is something that Habakkuk dealt with in his day. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Habakkuk looked around at the things that were going on in, in his day and time, in his world, and he had questions. He was a human too, just like you and me, a prophet as well, but he had questions about, about life. And he didn't keep them to himself. He took his questions to God. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is Habakkuk and his questions and God's answers so it's a really short book. If you look at the outline here, this is really all that we find in the book. Chapters 1 and 2, you get Habakkuk's questions, really two sections of questions from Habakkuk, and then God's answers. That's chapters 1 and 2, and really God's answer at length is in chapter 2. He also does give a little answer in chapter 1. But then you get to chapter 3, and the book ends with this beautiful praise to God from Habakkuk. It's in the form of a psalm. It's just like what we see in the Psalms. And it's a beautiful way that Habakkuk ends this book after he receives these answers from God. So let's dive right into this and let's look at what Habakkuk was asking God. Now here's what's really interesting about this book. With most of the prophetic books and all the ones we've looked at really so far... The prophet receives a message from God, right? And they go and they deliver it to the people. But with Habakkuk, you don't really see that. With Habakkuk, you really get a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. That's really the entire book. Is Habakkuk asking questions, God's answering, and then Habakkuk ends in praise to God. There's, we really don't see Habakkuk going to the people and telling them uh, his, his God's words. It's really a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. It's really interesting, this back and forth we get between them here. So let's look at this. The first question Habakkuk has is in verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. 
Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. This is the first question that we get from Habakkuk. Now, by the time Habakkuk gets along, the northern kingdom of Israel was, was gone. They had been uh, overtaken by the Assyrians. But what was coming was punishment for the southern kingdom because of their sins. And we'll get more on that in just a second. But that's the day and time Habakkuk is in, is in a time when, when the law is being ignored amongst the southern kingdom of Judah. And he looks around at his world and he's saying, in essence, God, are you there? Are you going to do something about all this violence, about all this destruction and the contention, all this iniquity that I'm seeing, and justice is perverted? Are you, are you going to do anything about this, God? Habakkuk's wondering, is God really going to do something about this, or he's just going to let it keep going? Habakkuk's got this question. He looks around, and he's, he sees that God is a, a just God, a righteous God, and so Inside, Habakkuk's like, God, God should do something about this evil that I see amongst his people. So Habakkuk brings it to God. He's like, God, do you see what's going on? Are you there? Are you going to do something about this? And, you know, we may have those same questions today. You know, we look around at our world and we see, some, we see sin. We see perverted justice. We see violence. And we may wonder, is destruction, is punishment coming for us in the United States? You know, I, I read an article one time on Apologetics Press, and I think they turned it into a seminar as well. It was called The Silencing of God. Really, really interesting article and seminar they do. In essence, they have this idea that uh, in the United States, slowly but surely, we have started to push God out of the public sector out of schools from the lowest levels all the way up to universities god is being pushed out in politics in the workplace and they they had this in the article citing all these examples of how god's being pushed out and we're replacing god with things such as abortion sexual immorality violence and and all these types of things and to these guys at apologetics press know they're they're not prophets but based on what we see in scripture that any nation who is wicked and does not revere God, it doesn't turn out good for them. And so they, they have asked this question. They've thought about this. Is God going to do something about the wickedness here in the U.S.? And I'm sure people have thought about that, that, that there's wickedness going on. Are we going to be punished? And that's what Habakkuk's looking at is, man, there's so much evil going on. God, are you there? Are, are you going to do something about this? Now look at, look at God's answer here in verses 5 through 11. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days, you would not believe it if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs, they are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect 
collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. And finally, verse 11, they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. So Habakkuk's first question, remember, is, God, are you going to do something about all this wickedness amongst your people? And in essence, God says, oh, yeah, I can see what's going on, and I'm, I'm doing something. And listen, if somebody were to tell you what I'm going to do, you wouldn't even believe it, Habakkuk. You wouldn't even comprehend what I'm about to do. But I'm bringing the Chaldeans upon you. And the Chaldeans, just another name for the Babylonians. The, the, think about Nebuchadnezzar and, and those guys. The, I'm bringing these, these swift, this swift army, this evil people that are just cruel and they are fierce. They're coming. They're coming, Habakkuk. So in essence, God says, yes, Habakkuk, I do see. I am coming. I am going to send punishment in the form of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, this fierce people who are going to they gather people like sand. That's what God says in response to Habakkuk, that yes, I see what's going on, and yes, I'm going to do something about it. And so, notice this last part, though. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. Keep that in mind, and we're going to come back to that in a few minutes, but God is saying, I'm going to send these people as a punishment for you. The Chaldeans are going to come, they're going to punish, but they will be held accountable as well. Because their strength, their, their God is their strength, really. And now hold on to that. But that's Habakkuk's really first dilemma. So uh, that really brings about another uh, set of questions for Habakkuk. Because he answers, God answers, hey, yes, I'm going to bring on the Chaldeans. They are fierce. They are, they are mighty. Uh, they're going to be the punishment. God said, yes, I see what's going on, and I'm going to bring punishment. Habakkuk doesn't really like that. That doesn't sit well with him. So that brings up his second question, and that's in verses 12 through 17. Look what he says. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net, because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? Now, all of that, I know there's kind of a lot there. But again, God says, yes, I am seeing what's going on. I'm sending the Babylonians. And Habakkuk says, God, are you really going to send somebody more wicked than us to punish us? That doesn't sit well with Habakkuk. He knows that the Chaldeans are ruthless and, and, and evil people. And he's, he, it's... He's struggling to, to rectify God's justice with using this evil people, the Chaldeans. Because he knows God, he doesn't look on iniquity with favor. No, no sin is with him. And so Habakkuk's like, hold on. You're going to use this people, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians? They're even more evil than us? And you're going to let them pick us up like fish in a net? 
You're going to let them punish us? And so Habakkuk's now struggling with this, that how can you let someone who's more evil than us punish us? Yes, we're evil. We've done some bad things, but, but they're even worse than we are. Right, and so Habakkuk's kind of now struggling with that, trying to understand how God could use a people like the, like the Babylonians to punish someone more righteous than them, according to Habakkuk, that is. And so these are kind of Habakkuk's questions that he brings to, to, to God. Now remember, God had already said they're going to be held guilty. And it seems that Habakkuk maybe missed that or he was so caught up in his questions that he didn't really, really seem to see that at the moment. God's going to get back to that in just a minute in chapter 2, talking more about the punishment of the Babylonians. But look at chapter 2, uh, and then we'll get to some application for this section of Habakkuk's questions. I love this section right here in chapter 2. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. So Habakkuk asked these questions of God. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to be like a watchman. And I have these, the picture of the walls on the background there. And in Habakkuk, in essence, some say that he, yes, he really went on, the, on a wall and was looking out. Some say it's just what he's, he's saying he's like. Regardless, he's like a watchman. You know, a watchman who's looking for a foreign, foreign army to come attack or for a messenger coming into the city. Habakkuk is saying, you know what? I'm going to stand. I'm going to be like a watchman waiting for God's answers. And I'm going to see what he's going to speak to me. And I'm going to see how I'm reproved. He's waiting expectantly for God's answers. And so God tells him, hey, record what I'm going to tell you so that whoever has it can run and tell it to others. The vision is for a time in the future, but this is a really important thing. Although it is for the future, just wait for it. It's going to come to pass. What God says is going to come to pass. It will not delay. And so Habakkuk stands expectantly waiting for God's answers. By way of application from this section, number one, I want us to understand it's okay to not understand everything that happens in this life. You know, I think many times we want to have control over everything. We want to understand everything that's going on. And here's the thing, we simply can't. We're human beings. We don't understand everything. We don't understand every single thing that happens in this life. Things are going to come up. Things are going to happen that confuse us. And that's okay. That's okay to not understand every single thing that happens. We're not God. Somebody, God, does know everything. And he's in control of it all. We don't necessarily have to be. It's okay to have reactions to things that happen to us as long as this second point we do this second point, which is take our questions and concerns to God. You see, Habakkuk took what he had, what he was feeling, what he was concerned about, and he took it to God. He didn't gripe about it amongst the people. He didn't gripe about it to himself. He took his questions to God. And when we're confused about things, when we have questions about life, why did this happen to me? Why is this corruption going on? Let's take it to God. Right, who better to turn to 
than our Heavenly Father who knows everything, who is in control of everything, right? I think so many times when we go to, to prayer, we sometimes can be repetitive. We, we can maybe not really let God know everything that's on our minds. And I know some people say, well, hold on a second. God already knows everything. So why do I need to go to him? You're right. God does know everything. Before we even think it or say it, God knows what's on our minds and what's on our hearts, right? But he still wants to hear from his children. Number one, he's told us to go to him, so we should. But number two, I, we, we were talking about prayer in class one time, and Glenn Hall said something I thought was great. He said, you know, many times God, uh, parents know what their children are going through. But don't you want your children to come to you with whatever they've got on their minds? Don't you want them to feel comfortable enough to come to you, even if you know what's going on? Don't you want them to confide in you, to come to you, to talk to you? I certainly want that for, for Paisley one day to come to me and feel comfortable talking to me about anything. And I may know exactly what's going on, but I want her to confide, confide in me still. And God wants us to come to him with our questions, with our concerns, because he's really the only one that can answer He's really the only one that can provide us peace and security that we so long for. Here's the thing. I think it's amazing how bold Habakkuk was in his prayers and his, his questions to God. And I think we can be bold in our prayers. I'm not saying be disrespectful, and that's not what we see from Habakkuk. Habakkuk's not being disrespectful or trying to prove God wrong. He's got genuine questions on his mind and on his heart, and he takes them to God. He really has something going on inside he wants to know. And so he takes it to, to God. And so should we take everything that we've got going on to God. And then finally, uh, for this section, wait expectantly and patiently for God's answers. When we go to God in prayer, we should expect that we're going to get an answer. Because God does answer prayers. Do you believe that? I believe that God answers prayers. Do I know exactly how he's going to answer it, when he's going to answer it? No, but I do know that he's listening, and I do know that he's going to answer. He's going to move in ways that I may not understand, but when I go to him with my questions, I should wait expecting it to, and patiently waiting for God to answer. Just like Habakkuk was like a, a watchman on the wall waiting for God's answers, so should we. We should be expecting God to answer our pleas, our questions, our concerns. And he does. He's a God. If we, if we go to him in faith, God, God is listening. God will answer. And so these are some things I think, uh, man, beautiful applications that we can get from the book of Habakkuk. Now, very quickly to the, to the rest of the book. In chapter 2, um, the rest of chapter 2, the, the parts that we haven't read yet, God, God's really going to lay out some punishment and uh, some things about Babylon. Now, a lot of commentators have said this really applies to any rebellious nation, and, and that may well, very well be. But Babylon really is in, in the context in view here. And so, again, Habakkuk's like, are you really going to use the Babylonians to punish us? And God's like, yes, I am, but they're going to be held guilty too. So, in chapter 2, five woes are pronounced against these things up here. Number one, theft and plundering. The, the Babylonians were going to be people who go in and take things from people, plunder them, and take it all for themselves. They're going to be people who, who gain unjustly, people of violence, very violent. We already kind of saw that in, in chapter 1. Drunkenness and lust and idolatry at the end of chapter 2. All of these things 
God pronounces these woes in form of like these, these taunt songs, I believe some versions say. Um, but you'll see if you just look in verse 6, it says, Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. And he goes on and says, Woe for unjust gain. Woe to violence. Woe to drunkenness and lust. And woe to idolatry. All of these different things. And your, your version may say something a little bit different. Your translation, I mean. But these woes are pronounced against the evil of Babylon. But look at uh, verses 4 and 5. He says this, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. The big problem with Babylon and really all of us and every nation is pride. Our pride is our downfall. And God says if the, the, proud, the, pri the proudful ones, their soul is not right within them. And they don't, God does not take pleasure in those who are prideful. And we see that, man, remember what he said in chapter 1 about the Chaldeans, their God was their strength. They relied on their own strength and their own power, and that's what they were proud of. Look at all that we can do and all that we can accomplish. We're so mighty, no one can stop us. And God says his soul is not right within him. But in contrast, what God deems as righteous is those who live by their faith. Not in themselves, but in who? In him. And that's certainly not what the Babylonians were doing and really not what God's people were doing either. They were not living by their faith in God. And this is a very important verse, the righteous will live by faith. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. Very important that God considers those righteous who live by faith. Folks, it, it all starts and ends with faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's all about faith placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and that moves us to act for him. It moves us to, to, bapti to be baptized, to confess our sins, to repent. It all, it's all about faith, and that's what God takes pleasure in. But those who live by pride, oh man, the, that's not good. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so throughout this chapter, you see these, this punishment that's going to come upon them. Uh, for instance, uh, he says, you know, you Indeed, you plundered people? Well, you're going to be plundered. That's verse 7. And he go, continues to go on. Hey, because you did these things to other people, it's going to happen to you. And so, in essence, God is saying, listen, Babylon is going to punish you, but they're also going to be punished. They're also going to be held responsible for their sins, for their iniquities, Habakkuk. I'm going to punish them as well. And guess what? Exactly that happens. So, by way of application, number one, God will not leave the guilty unpunished. God will not leave the guilty unpunished. Sin has consequences. I know we've talked about this so many times, I feel like, within the prophets, so I won't belabor this point. But the, the Babylonian people, they were a, a wicked people, and Habakkuk was struggling. How could God, you use them to punish us? And God says, they're going to be punished too. You're being punished for your iniquities. They're going to be punished for their iniquities as well. We can't expect to escape punishment if we just continue in sin. And I think about Romans 6 verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We can't just keep on sinning and say, well, you know what? I've got God's grace, so I can just keep doing whatever I want to do. That's not how it works. We walk in the light 
And yes, we're going to slip up, but as we walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7 and 9, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness if we walk in the light. But if we continue in sin, all we can expect is the punishment of God. And one day God has promised to come back and he's going to deal with sin. He's going to punish sin. And then another application, God will do what he says he's going to do. And really we see this from the beginning of what we've talked about all the way to this point. When God says something, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans upon you, Judah, and then I'm going to punish the Babylonians, we can mark it down. It's going to happen. And exactly what God said happened. Judah was punished. There was three different uh, campaigns brought on against them by Nebuchadnezzar. And in fi finally in 586 or 587 BC, they were finally wiped out by the Babylonians. And then later down the line, the Babylonians are overthrown. And so when God says something's going to happen, book it down. It's going to happen. Everything that we find in this book, God says it, we can book it down. It's going to happen. We can trust in his words. Now, finally, chapter three, we're not going to read this entire chapter for the sake of time. But I want to draw your attention to the final verses, verses 17 to 19. Throughout the, the first several verses of this chapter, again, Habakkuk has received these answers from God, and he sings, basically lifts up this praise to him in the form of a psalm. And in the first several verses, Habakkuk recalls God's works in the world and his power and his might and his control over everything and the salvation that he has brought his people through so many different instances. But he ends it with these words, beautiful words, in Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19. Though the, though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet, and makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments. Habakkuk looks around and tough times were going to come, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines and all of these things not be there. I'm still going to trust in God. God is still my stout salvation. God is still my strength. God is still my rock. He places me on my feet and he makes me walk even through these tough times that are coming, God is still my God. God is still my Lord. God is still my King. And he still upholds me with his righteous right hand. Habakkuk looked out and he, he waited for God's answers. And when he received them, all he could do is stand and praise to God. And even if bad things were coming, he says, he's still my strength. And so by way of application, God is still our God, even in the bad times, even in the worst of times. When we have questions, when we have concerns, when we go through the worst of times in our lives, God is still our strength. God is still our salvation. Because we go through bad times, it doesn't mean that God's left us, God's forsaken us. No, he's promised us to never leave us or forsake us. He's still our rock. He's still our fortress and our strength. But we've got to trust in that. He's still there, but we've got to go to him. And Habakkuk did. He trusted in God even though those bad times were coming. He still trusted in God as his strength. What about you and I? What about you and I when we have questions, when we go through bad times? Do we still trust in God? I feel like many times people walk away 
when bad things happen. Why would God let this happen to me? Why, why is this going on in my life? That's the worst thing we could do is run away from the rock that is higher than I. We've got to run to him. And in those times, he will sustain us. And he'll ultimately be our salvation no matter what happens in this life. So the ultimate answer, folks, I just want to point to Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 as we close out here. I think this is such a comforting verse. God became a man and he knows what it's like to face a tough life, to face trials and tribulations. Now, I'm not saying Jesus had the same questions that we do, or that he struggles like we do. But he did become a man, and he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. That's what the Hebrews writer says here. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus became a man, and he was tempted in all points as we are, he knows what it's like to be in our shoes, to struggle, to be rejected, to be tempted. But notice the difference. He never sinned. That qualified him to be our Savior. And because he's been through what we've been through, let's draw near with confidence. Let's go to him with, in boldness. And we're going to find the help that we need. So in this life, when you go through tough times, and this is what David's really talking about this morning. Perfect way to tie it all in today. Go to Christ. Because you're going to find the mercy and grace to help in time of need through him and him alone. Do you have a need tonight? If you do, we'd love for you to come forward. If you've never given your life to Christ and you want to join in this family, there's no better way to live. If you have any need this morning, please come forward, this evening, come forward as we stand and sing.